Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast, podcast for the end of the end of time. This is that one, the one for the end of the end of time. I know you've been looking for a podcast with that specific theme. This is that podcast. (laughs) Welcome back. Uh, Second episode for 2022. Got a really great interview today, Uh, sort of diverging away from the normal subject matter, which is Under the Silver Lake, the 2018 film starring Andrew Garfield about a weirdo who searches for a girl in the underworld. We're not talking about that today. Today, we are talking about House of Brotherly Love, And we're talking with up-and-coming writer and film director Max Kane. Uh, I met Max uh, through auditioning for his film last year. It's the only film that I worked on last year. My first film back since COVID. This was shot out in the Philadelphia area. First time I've shot a movie out in Pennsylvania, as far as I can remember. Max created this movie. House of Brotherly Love, which I believe is the meaning of the name of the city of Philadelphia, House of Brotherly Love. Apparently, anybody who lives even remotely close to Philadelphia says that they uh, that they actually live in Philadelphia. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, this guy did not live in Philadelphia. <laughs> but um, I met a lot of people from that area, and it seems that generally... In Pennsylvania, people refer to any any place that was close in any relative way to Philadelphia as Philadelphia itself. Um, I'm not saying he lived out in the sticks, but, you know, I don't know if it, it, it wasn't the city. Okay, cool. Anyway, Max Kane, he's an up-and-coming film director based in L.A. now, uh, but uh, from the Philadelphia area, and last year he came back to that area to film this 20-something minute short film, House of Brotherly Love. He wrote it, he directed it with his film partner, Joey Krulock, and a crew of about maybe 10 or so people, and a cast of around 60 people, and shot it all in the house that he grew up in. It was awesome to work on, really fun, really wonderful group of actors and crew. Everybody was very upbeat and positive, despite the circumstances of the never-ending pandemic. And uh, it was a real joy to be on the set and get to work on a challenging, sometimes disturbing, really funny and strange film like House of Brotherly Love. So I'm going to talk to Max, find out all about him, and ask him a lot of questions about the film itself, because I'm trying to understand it. Uh, He's one of those cool filmmakers that doesn't spell it all out for you. 
And those are the kind of movies that I obviously like. So we get into it. And Max, he has a lot of good answers for me, I think. And we have an excellent conversation. I'm really excited to share this with you. I think you're going to dig it. And I really think that you'll dig the movie. It's a challenging short film. It deals with a lot of the major subjects that our society has been dealing with in the past few years. I think it's a big swing on his part. And that's what I like to see. Directors who are taking big swings. Artists who are willing to take chances. Take some chances, artists. Fuck what they want you to make. Make the shit you want to make. I know it's hard, you know, especially in film, because you need money to make these movies. Sometimes, uh, especially as people get up into um, the big leagues, there's a lot of moving parts and uh, a lot of input from the people with the money who want uh, to push certain kinds of propaganda on the world, certain kinds of themes, what have you. But um, you always see the real creative people who are willing to uh, put their ass on the line and uh, go out on a limb with their, their own ideas, you see them break through on every level, through independent film as well as in studio work. And um, I encourage that behavior. Go for it, artists. Make the movie you want to make. Make the work of art that you want to make because you're going to put all the right kind of effort into it. To make it happen because goddamn is it hard to make a movie. I know it looks like uh, that it's just a bunch of people having a good time, but god damn is it hard to make a movie. I gotta tell you, it's not easy, folks. It's a ton of work. And it's a marathon, as they say, uh, you know, because uh, you can start making a movie, you can even film it, but can you finish it? That is the real challenge. As with any work of art, can you finish the work? You know, uh, sometimes you get into a work and halfway through you're like, oh, fuck. I don't know if this has, if there's all the elements necessary to make what my vision is. But you know what? Make an imperfect work of art and get it out there and let people deal with it. Make mistakes. Make something that is flawed if you want. Or if you have to, if there's no other choice, if that's all you have, make a flawed work of art, but make it and finish it and get it out to the humans because that's what we're here to do. The artists, we serve some fucking purpose in this world and it's spiritual, it's uh, intellectual, it's metaphysical, it's emotional, it's societal, you know, just like in Under the Silver Lake uh, that the moon is the mirror the film is the mirror, the silver screen, the mirror that is held up to society to show us ourselves in one way or another. Either a version that we know about but don't want to look at, or a version that we haven't even considered but that's a reflection of some aspect of ourselves hidden away or out there for everyone to see, what have you. The mirror, the silver screen is the mirror. The moon, the mirror, the psychic mirror. <laughs> That's what we're here to do, man. We're here to show and we're here to challenge or just entertain. But what is entertaining? I mean, it's uh, it's it's sort of putting the viewer through the ringer a little bit in one way or another, making them feel stuff they don't normally feel 
or think things they won't normally think or see things they've never seen before. I like that. That's our job. So do it, filmmakers, artists, musicians, whatever you are. Make your work, finish it, even if it's flawed, and get it out there. Do it. That's the test. Do it. Um, I've been listening to this guy, an interview with this guy, an esotericist, a shaman who's based in Philadelphia, this guy named Raz Ben, R-A-S-B-E-N. He's really cool. He talks about uh, a lot of interesting things, like how uh, the city of Philadelphia is uh, sort of a magical city, and uh, it's kind of like programmed in a certain way through all of the um, statuary and buildings and and how the, the Europeans that came here and took over the country found out about the power spots in the city and programmed it with the statues and the art. They used art to create a magical spell that would affect the consciousness of the country and the city and affect the people that live in the area because they knew that there is invisible energy that runs through the lines of the earth, the grid of the earth, they call them the ley lines or the dragon lines. They run through the underground. <laughs> Some people, there's been a tradition of people who know about the ley lines and they kept it secret for a long time. But, you know, this is the age of the internet where nothing's secret anymore. The age of revelation, the end of the end of time. And so uh, all the secret things that uh, the elite use to control society are out there now for all of us to learn about the ley lines, the dragon lines. Anyway, he talks about things like that, Philadelphia and how it's built and how it affects people. Um, and he was talking about uh, I guess he was talking sort of about astrology in a way for the first part of the year, the first half of 2022. And he was talking about Jupiter, Jupiter and its position in uh, the Zodiac in the stars. Uh, the planets run through the Zodiac in the sky because all the Zodiac, all the 12 signs are or really 13 signs. If you count Ophiuchus are in the sky, obviously. And the, the Earth and the Moon and the planets and the solar system and the Sun, they pass through these different houses, the different signs of the zodiac in the sky, like Libra, Pisces, Aquarius, Leo, etc. And when these planets are passing through these different signs, they have different energetic effects on the consciousness of the planet, the people on the planet. And he was talking about how Jupiter's position in the sky in the first half of this year is really going to affect things in a very positive way, creating some forms of grace to the people here. That it's important to know that uh, because you can use those ideas, even dates themselves, to program your reality, program the consciousness around you, program reality to yield effects different effects in your life, hopefully positively, in the future. It's magic. This is what magic is, you know? Using your consciousness to program reality through interfacing with the God force, the source. Do it. Do it! But um, he was saying that uh, Jupiter is really prominent through like April of 2022. And so it's important to uh, exhibit the traits of Jupiter, the good king in the sky. 
and uh, Jupiter is very abundant, and Jupiter is jovial. Jove, by Jove, as they say in Shakespeare, Jove is Jupiter. Jove is Jupiter. Jove is Zeus. By Jove, by Zeus. Zounds, also from Shakespeare. Zeus's wounds, zounds. Anyway, to be jovial, to be upbeat, happy, fun, positive. This would be an important thing to, to exhibit in your personality, in your day-to-day -day life. A positive attitude, a jovial attitude to encourage in yourself and in others because that attitude of being upbeat, also being thankful, attitude of gratitude, as they say, program your life with these attitudes in 2022, in the first half of 2022. And uh, you should see the repercussions of that positive programming coming back to you in your life. What you put out is what you get back, as they say. Yeah, and he was talking about dressing in purple and eating purple foods like blueberries, stuff like that. Purple, exhibit the, the color of purple, which is sort of like this color of royalty. Jove, the king, Jupiter, be royalty, be the master, be upbeat, be filled with gratitude, wear purple, eat purple, things like that. He's just, you know, giving these ideas out. And um, I thought it was fascinating. And here, you know, this guy who's based in Philadelphia and who's spent a lot of time decoding Philadelphia. And so uh, I got into this movie, House of Brotherly Love. And very recently I had an interview with Max because uh, he just put the movie out right at the, at the end of last year or the beginning of this year. And um, it's about a, a New Year's Eve party at the beginning of 2020 and all the crazy stuff that happens in that party. So I wanted to get this interview out now. Um, again, I know normally I'm talking about under the, under the Silver Lake, but uh, I decided that uh, because Max released this film and I'm in it and I like the film, um, and it's, it's pertinent to what's going on in our world, in our society, and that it takes place on New Year's, that uh, while we're still in January, this is the right time to get this interview out so we can get eyes on Max's movie. It's worth watching. It's a challenging film. Essentially, House of Brotherly Love is about a, a brother and sister, Jalen and Brianna, and they come from a wealthy black family, uh, somewhere near Philadelphia. Jalen seems to be uh, disturbed, quietly disturbed, sort of simmering during this New Year's Eve party that's happening at their house. And Brianna brings home her uh, college boyfriend who's uh, a white douchebag, <laughs> essentially. And trouble ensues. Um, and all around them, there's all this crazy shit going on at the party. As you'll hear from Max, uh, this was a reaction to racial injustice that was going on in the past couple years and, uh, you know, the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. And also it's about his thoughts about how he would feel if the wrong people got involved with one of his siblings. He's the oldest brother in his family. I think he's protective of his uh, younger sister and brother and... So he created a movie that sort of explores uh, the relationship between an older brother and a younger sister and what happens when the younger sister 
brings home the wrong guy. That's sort of like the uh, face value version, you know, face value story in the film. But then underneath it all, I feel like are these challenging images that are responding to racial injustice going on in our society and how he feels about it, I think. Um, I tried to get to the bottom of it in this interview, and I think in some ways I failed. Maybe I didn't know how to ask the questions the right way. But in other ways, you know, he kind of uh, he kind of understood what I was trying to get at. And he has a lot of really excellent answers in an attempt to try to explain what his movie is all about and what he's trying to do with it and why he made it. He's a young filmmaker. I think he's recently out of school. This might be the longest film he's made. I think he's a promising filmmaker. I think he's got something to say. He's really got an excellent visual style and the editing is excellent and all the performances in the film were really great. It was an awesome cast of people. I felt really happy to be involved in it. And look, if you want more context about what we're talking about in this interview, you can look up his movie and watch it online right now. You can go to Vimeo or YouTube or the website directorsnotes.com and look up House of Brotherly Love and you should be able to find it by filmmaker Max Kane. You could watch the 20-minute film. And then you'd have total context for this interview. Go ahead, check it out. It's groovy. Yeah, so I had a lot of questions. This is my interview with Max. I kind of just got here. I didn't even know a place like this existed. Howdy folks, this is Phil Restino. Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast. Uh, I've got a really excellent interview to share with you today. Writer and director Max Kane is here with me. Have I said it correctly? Max Kane, that's correct. Max Kane. Max Kane is like a film noir bad guy name. It's like the villain. Very close to Max Payne. I've I've heard I've heard that a few times. But so, the cane is more like an old, old-fashioned style Hollywood film noir villain or something. Yeah, my, uh, I, I still have to see Citizen Kane, which is ah, pretty, pretty bad. It's pretty tough to admit as a filmmaker. Um, you uh, know, I've only watched the beginning of it, so I'd say you're with in the modern age. You're probably off the hook. Rosebud. That's all I know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was only like the maybe the most important movie ever made, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I definitely have to I have to get on that. But <laughs> thank thank you for having me, Phil. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Thanks for doing it, dude. Um, so, uh, before we start talking about your film House of Brotherly Love, which uh, you wrote and directed, and I'm uh, an actor in, I uh, just wanted to find out what's going on with you. You're just telling me that you are in Brooklyn. I am. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn right now. I, I'm based in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, I, I work at a management production film and TV company called Anonymous Content, which is based in LA, based in Culver City, but they have an office in New York as well. But just during the pandemic, I've been able to work from anywhere, which is a, it's, a, it's been good for me. It's mm. given me a lot of flexibility in my creative endeavors my writing and directing it allowed me to 
pursue this project that we worked on together. Um, um, and so what are you doing in, but what are you doing in Brooklyn right now? Are you so working right on something? Right now I'm, I'm, I'm visiting my girlfriend oh, who I cool. also, who I also met on set uh, right on. of our, of our movie. Right on. Um, right on. Um, Did so, you not know her before the film? No. Oh, that's nope. amazing. Yeah. So it was a, it was a very, it's a very special film for me in a lot of, a lot of different ways. Huh. Far um, out. But I, yeah, so I, I'm in Brooklyn temporarily. Um, uh, so you're just hanging here. I thought maybe you were working on something too. No, I, I'm okay. the whole uh, filmmaking process has kind of started over. So now is kind of my, my brainstorming writing phase where I kind okay. of just, I guess my process, I just kind of uh, write whatever I can think of down on a piece of paper and uh-huh. then I see it and I just wait a little bit of time and I see what sticks and then yeah. I try to write a few different things and um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So I'm using the time to be able to travel a little bit mm-hmm. or just be home with family and friends. Um, yeah. I'm from Philly originally. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to... Mexico City in a few weeks. I'm going to be spending a month there. Um, ah. Just looking for something a little, a little bit different. Go do you know I someone? Do you, sorry. Do you know someone in Mexico City, or you just want to check it out, or what's, have I, you been there I know, before? I know nobody. Uh-huh. I know little to no Spanish. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of in between apartments right now, and okay. I mean, the pandemic has been pretty shitty, but. Yeah. I mean, one of the positives I've, I've taken away from it is just my ability to to explore places that I haven't been able to before. But um, why Mexico City? I honestly, it's just a random place. I've never, I, I've always wanted to go. I heard the food's great. Uh-huh. Um, it's a culture that I've never experienced. Um, and I'm just looking for something just a little different. Okay. Um, are you going with people you, or are you just going to go down? No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going solo, uh, uh-huh. which is also cool. kind of a big a big part of it for me. Um, That's I've very never cool. really never really like lived alone or traveled alone. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think some me time is definitely needed. Um, just to, it's been a tough, tough last few years, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Um, I've traveled alone by myself a bunch and uh it's uh it's worth doing I would say. Um, you have any suggestions? You where know have you go- where have you gone? So. Mostly most of my traveling has been throughout the United States and then in Europe. So um you know if you like to travel people traditionally go to Europe and take the trains all over the place and go see different cities and yeah. countries and stuff like that. So that's a that's a cool thing. You'll definitely run into some people from Australia while mm. you're in Europe because there's always random Australian people traveling all throughout Europe. Um, yes. And you'll meet lots of different people from different countries who are very willing to have conversations on a train or what have you. Yeah. So yeah. I had a lot of adventures uh, a few different times in Europe traveling around. Um, and then, you know, I've just driven across the country a handful of times, maybe at least six times, maybe more. I can't remember. And half of those times where I was by myself. Um, And that's always interesting because you really get a sense of like, A, how 
goddamn huge this country really is and um, how much space there is and how much unused space there is, you know? So it's weird that as people, we cluster in these little areas um, and we don't really take advantage of the entirety of this country. And whenever someone says the world is overpopulated, I'm always like, well, have you driven across the country? Like most of it's empty. But there's amazing landscapes everywhere, really incredible things to see. And you see why the people who, you know, the the Europeans who founded this country, uh, why they romanticized it so much. Totally. It's really magnificent. So that's my only, those are my only recommendations. But are you going to, are you going to fly down to Mexico? Yeah. Okay. One one of the things on my agenda is look for flights today. Nice. um, And do you have something you're trying to see while you're down there? Not at all. I'm I'm the kind of traveler that goes and then just nice. asks asks people what nice like when I'm when I'm there. But yeah, to to what you said, there's something to be said towards like uh, not getting too comfortable and yeah in your little space and what you're what you're used to. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of just want to try something new. But but also you have to be able to you have to be comfortable enough to. To not have to look outside and look elsewhere, you know, to uh, to find happiness, if that makes sense. I, it's like you don't have to. Uh, I'm not hoping that traveling is going to bring some sort of like huge epiphany. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think that kind of needs to be found within me. Mm. Um, but traveling is nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's some kind of jeez. Oh, I'm going to sound stupid right now, but my brother has done, my youngest brother has done a bunch of traveling down in, in Mexico and in Central America. And I seem to remember him saying that there are these specific Aztec ruins that are just outside of Mexico City that are worth checking out. I'm pretty sure they're Aztec. Well, but that uh, might be something you want to, might want to ask about. Yeah, it's, that'll definitely be, uh, I'll definitely reach out to you separately for that. Okay. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe you can uh, <laughs> connect me with your brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I bet he would have some great recommendations for you. Actually. Where, where um, are you calling me from, Phil? I'm in Queens, bro. You're in Queens. Yeah. The the city is it's tough to get used to. It's weird. Um, it's very weird. I mean, these I'm days. Used to, I'm used to LA, but yeah, I I like LA because I love just being able being able to get into my car and drive anywhere. The subway is freaking tough. Uh, well, and especially now, the past few years of the pandemic, it's kind of like, do I, I, I have a car, so I've stayed off the subway as much as possible, um, which I yeah. think was a, a blessing for me specifically, but um, the subway is old and crazy, and it's all over the place. I mean, I hear that the subway in Japan is way more complex, but uh, but New York has a specific, uh, really specific smell to it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and definitely. the best rats you'll ever find, the fattest rats you'll find anywhere. I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. That. Um, what was your pandemic like in LA? How was the what was it like during the pandemic in LA? I escaped LA before the pandemic started, so uh just kind of curious how it's been down there. I was kind of in my little bubble. I feel like a lot, a lot of people were. It's like yeah. uh LA everyone's kind of spread out. So I really mm-hmm. only interacted with 
the people in my in my circle um hmm. i mean i was working from home i was kind of quarantined with a good friend mm-hmm. um and i mean being quarantined with anybody is tough um, yeah whether it's like family friends partners i mean just being in a space with some especially if it's a small space literally with anyone it can start to drive you a little bit crazy for sure but i i was lucky that i was with someone that i i really cared about and we were able to get through a lot of stuff together but la la was it didn't seem any different from any any other city that i had visited yeah i, I really spent a lot of time in philadelphia um, oh. i i really i really used the time during the pandemic to get home um and and spend time with family um yeah because i I hadn't been home for a while um Uh, and that you know we can kind of use that as a way to transfer over to maybe moving into the talking about the movie because this uh philadelphia is where you shot well not philadelphia but uh yeah it's it's like yeah westchester pennsylvania it's kind of a philly thing to to call anywhere relatively close to Philadelphia, <laughs> Philly, which gets a lot of my friends mad. Oh, is that what is that what how that works? Because yeah, you hear always hear. Uh, it seemed like everyone was always saying Philadelphia, no matter where you were, and we distinctly were not in Philadelphia. I found when we were shooting, so yeah, um, close enough. Close. Yeah, enough. I mean, you even named the movie House of Brotherly Love, which is a Philadelphia reference. Yeah. Um. So. We were in your, we were shooting in your childhood home. We were shooting my parents' house. Okay. Yep. Did you grow up there in that house? I, yeah, I, I moved there when I was just a few months old. And then oh, wow. I moved out after uh-huh. college. I graduated in 2018. So I, yeah, I was out. I moved to LA right after. My, my mom is a doctor uh, uh-huh. and she's very, very covid uh, aware and uh-huh. Uh-huh. overly safe sure. um so it was uh before the the shoot she allowed pretty much no one in our house as soon as the pandemic started and then all of a sudden i i asked for a small favor um, <laughs> is that what you call that a small favor yeah. that's funny you always kind of expect films to be a little bit i guess for me just a little bit smaller than than you expect uh-huh um like i kind of pitched it as uh it's just gonna be a few nights probably like a, a dozen actors uh-huh. like maybe like 10 crew members uh-huh. um <laughs> like it'll you won't even know that we're here um <laughs> like i i even i suggested like hey you should probably like this is a good time to like go take a mini vacation, go stay at a hotel for a few nights. Uh-huh. Um, that idea was shot down almost immediately. Because <laughs> um, you uh, look, when I was there, it was when the bulk of like the cast was there and the and all the crew, obviously. I would bet that you had over 70 people between cast and crew. All, you know? all together, it was about 70. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not a few people and a small group, a small crew. Not at all. You no. Know, so, um, <laughs> um, and you know, I I got to talk to your dad a bunch while we were shooting. Yeah, my dad very... loved my dad loved loved the experience. He's uh, he recently, seemed really recently retired. It. Yeah, He's recently retired, and like this is it was like a nice little fun project for him as well. Oh, 
But your mom, I never got to talk to. I never yeah. got to find out what her deal was at all, or if she was enjoying herself or what. And you never, how did you know, she feel about while the shooting was going on? Was she freaking out or? She wasn't freaking out, but I think she was kind of a uh, a little ticked off that it was <laughs> a little bit more than what I had pitched. I, I think at the end of the day, she was happy. She was okay. she was glad that uh, we did what we did and we did it. She. She was doing a lot of work behind the scenes. She was helping a lot with the COVID protocols and oh, okay. a lot of the safety measures. So, oh, that's good. As long as people were staying safe, um, and we were doing like everything that we could to make sure that we were as safe as possible, and she was she was okay. But yeah, she was definitely uh, watching from afar. Uh huh. But she was in there. I mean, I remember when you know when we were shooting the big party scene. She was around, definitely. It's not like she was like hiding somewhere. She yeah, she was around, but we also did shoot overnights, um, and she's she was working during the day. So, unlike my dad at the time, she she had to sleep. She was there sleeping while the shoot was happening. She she was trying to. She oh my was god, to. that's insane. Yeah. So the first time that we talked, the first yeah. time that we connected, was I I had posted a few um what character sides was it on breakdown is that how how you heard about the project i think so i'm i'm on actors access and i think they use breakdown services as a okay way to do it so that's how i found you do you even remember applying or yeah vaguely i mean vaguely you know you apply to a ton of stuff and then sure. you get responses from people and you got back to me with interest and i I filmed uh, my auditions for you, and they felt really good when I filmed yeah. them. And you were you were looking for improvisers as well, and that's a sweet spot for me. So, yeah, you sent two awesome, awesome tapes. Oh, thanks. Um, and then I remember what I we got on the phone. You, yeah, we we I saw the script after you You were like, I'm interested in having you be in the in the film. And you sent me the script and I read the script and I was like, holy shit, this is fucked up. This is a crazy movie. I mean, there's like, it's really intense. It's very racially charged, I would, I find in some ways. But then there's all this mixing of different races in the, in the film too. And I want to talk to you all about that um, because I feel like that's an underlying, that's a subtext in the movie. And I want to know what you're thinking about that. But then there's also like some really intense violence in there too. And it, and I'm like, what's, who is this guy? Like, I didn't know you. And I'm like, who is this guy? Is he a crazy guy? Like, is, does he have a bone to pick? Like what's, what's your deal? So I was like, let's talk before I sign on. And I talked to you and you couldn't have been a nicer person and more level-headed and, and you were able to like answer all of my questions. And I was like, Oh, okay. So he's just a cool artist. Who's, you know, making a, a challenging piece of art. And uh, so then I was in, I, I did how, what, when you talked to me, were you like, um, did I seem kind of crazy to talk to or? No, I mean, uh -huh. I was really glad that, that you reached out and expressed some of your, I, I don't know if I would call them concerns, but mm -hmm. I mean, you, there were definitely some questions that you had and some hesitation yeah. and that's all good stuff to hear. You were definitely one of the very few people that actually took the time to ask a lot of those questions. Yeah, which I really appreciated because um, I, I'm still I'm still a young 
young filmmaker, but I feel like you need kind of everyone on board. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's on your project to really want to be there and believe in it and, mm-hmm. and want to work with you. And like, I really like forming like genuine relationships with the people that I work with. And yeah, me too. Um, which, yeah. And I, I could tell that, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I was kind of just hoping that, you know, I would just be as honest as I could when we talked and hopefully that would, that would help. That's all I was looking for. I just wanted to understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. I, I felt like you're very, you're very clear when we spoke and, um, and it helped me a lot to understand a little better what you were all about and, and what maybe you were trying to accomplish with the film. Um, so let's talk about this movie. Like, how did you, where did this idea come from for you? Like, was there an event in the world that sparked it for you? Or were you, were you like, were you responding to something specifically or something in your past? Or, you know, like, where was this all coming from for you? I think the movies, at least that I've, made thus far they they all kind of stem from like a a pretty deep emotion that i've had or something really like one one singular like uh just something really strong that i've felt um Mm -hmm. so like and something that it can be boiled down to like only a few words um so like the last movie i made which is called duck essentially it's just a guy leaving home and it's that's uh, a great movie by the way thank you I really enjoyed that film. And this one, this, this, I guess the, the strong emotion that really started everything was just my protectiveness for my siblings. Hmm. Um, really for my sister specifically. I, I have two younger siblings. Um, um, and I've always been protective. Some would say overprotective. And like for as long as I can remember, I've, I, I mean, I felt like I've needed to be a protector. Uh-huh. Of my siblings. You're the oldest, I'm oldest the, brother? I'm the oldest. My sister uh-huh. is uh, two years younger than me, and my brother is seven years younger than me. But being so close in age with my sister, um, we grow up with a lot of the same people, doing a lot of the same things, which means I kind of, we watch each other grow up, which means uh-huh. we like interact with a lot of, uh, like I, I see a lot of the people that she interacted with. Um, and a lot of those people made me really uncomfortable. And, <laughs> <laughs> just naturally just like with anybody um you just want to be you saying like, like specifically boyfriends that she had were you is that a hard thing to deal with as an older brother to see her like you wanted to make sure that she's hanging out with the right guy yeah i guess yeah that definitely plays into it for sure yeah. um but i guess just i was saying more so in general like you just kind of want to make sure your siblings are safe and, yeah. and hanging out with the right crowd. I mean, as I'm getting older, I kind of realize that that's not really my job. My siblings are their own people. With maturing, with just like growing up, like I've started to get to know them more as people, as opposed to just you know, siblings or people that are that are just younger than me. And I assume that's I'm not alone in that feeling. Um, and yeah. that's why I felt like this could be kind of like a universal story. And so the whole script just sort of grew out of that one idea of a brother an older brother being overly protective of the younger sister yeah that's kind of where the idea was born i started writing it it was during the pandemic it was it was while i was wrapping the edit for duck which is Mm -hmm. my last project the idea came around right around the time of the the black lives matter protests 
Okay. There was a lot of stuff going on in my head. There was a lot of anger and uncertainty, and I, I was trying to just understand a lot of stuff. And the, that was so when I was writing, that was really like the the social climate. That, yeah. that was that was what was happening in, at the time, and I mean, it kind of felt like the world was blowing up for a while. And like it was the first. That was the first time that I had experienced anything like that. I'm also I'm from like the suburbs of Philadelphia. I, like I, I just graduated college. I've been working for only a few years. I I don't have the the biggest uh, world view yet. But for me personally, like that that time definitely affected me. Yeah, and it's interesting to see like. Um... COVID's happening and everyone's locked in their houses. And then it's even easier to kind of see like, you know, you can't, what do you do with your humanity when you're trying to repress the urge to go out and live, you know? And so you see all these people freaking out um, one way or another, you know, and that was manifesting in different things like the protests. So it's these two intense dichotomies in behavior happening in our society simultaneously and it and you kind of see that in the main character uh, what is his name is Jalen like the uh the character's yep. name is Jalen right so he's the older brother and he's very uh emotionally locked down throughout most of the film you can kind of tell that he's sort of in trauma you know he's disturbed sure. or something there's something going on inside of him and you you get that across. I found that you got that idea that there's something like boiling underneath the surface with him. You got that across really well with your editing and the way that you'd sort of like quick cut to like what's going on in his imagination and then cut back to like a person talking to him and quick cut from like him looking straight into the camera yeah. in one scene. And then you're so all of a sudden you're in another scene as if he's you know, like as if he's lost consciousness for a, a little while and come back to consciousness and a whole nother as a whole nother event is going on as if he's sort of like completely divorced from reality. And so I'm wondering, like, is he because he, he appears to be so sort of contained and that people in the movie might be confusing that for someone who is fine. You kind of come off as somebody who is reserved. Uh, in the way that you express yourself, but is there uh, a raging fire of emotions underneath all that, that, you know, that you find, you find that you're able to express through the the filmmaking and the writing and that kind of stuff, you know, like the other side of him that comes out in the movie, is that in you as well? Or is that I, something you're trying to express? Like, is that part of your anger of seeing the protests? And the... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely reserved. Um, I'm never the most talkative person in the room. Being able to write and actually put on the screen what I write, that's definitely how I feel like I communicate best and that's how I express my emotions best. I, I definitely see myself in, in everything that I've done so far. All the main characters have definitely been based on me just because mm -hmm. that, that's how I know. That's what I know best. Uh, yeah. Eventually, as a filmmaker, I want to be able to I, I want to be able to think bigger, but right now, I mean, these are personal stories as I'm trying to my best to grow and, and learn and develop the craft. It's like, I, I need to tell things that I, I know like the back of my hand. So yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely that rage somewhere in there. It's probably in a little bit of everybody, isn't it? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's just part of the being a person, right? Yeah. And I, I guess I'm not gonna, I hate, I hate spoilers, but like there's a, <laughs> I, I, what, what happens, how, what everything, what it culminates in at the end, like, I don't, I've never viewed it as like extreme or sure it's violent, but mm. I, I do feel like it's justified. Like I, I consider it a story of justice. Um, okay. I mean, a lot of the the story also kind of stemmed from like, what would I do in that situation? Or maybe just what would you want to do? Exactly. Or what would I what would I feel the need to do? What would I? Right. What impulses do you have when confronted with exactly someone that you find that abhorrent and who's mixed up with, you know, one of your siblings yeah so i guess for anyone who hasn't seen the movie uh essentially the movie is just a about a young guy who's home from college and it, the movie takes place during new year's eve and he's here for his new his family's new year's eve party and his younger sister brings her new boyfriend who is pretty shitty guy but very likable he's likable to a lot of people but you learn more about him as the as the movie goes on it's a Jalen and Brianna, those are the brother and sister, and they have a younger brother, Hector. It's a black family in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, and Will, who's the boyfriend, is nice, smooth-talking, uh, southern guy from South Carolina. And he's a white guy. And he's a white guy. Yeah. He's sort of, uh, he's like the, the, the worst drunken frat boy. Yeah dickhead you know what i mean like you know like someone who thinks he's awesome and you can see he's got a chip on his shoulder when they're talking about his family later on in the film where the parents are gone the grandparents wouldn't even know that he's not home and i mean he's not a good guy but no he also like uh i know a lot of people like him i've met yeah. people like him um, Absolutely. I, I don't think he was at least the intention was i didn't try to have him be too extreme um where it's no like, he's he's like like a thousand people that you'll meet in college yeah um, and i think joey did a great job uh portraying him yeah so joey krulock is that how you say his joey, last name joey krulock yeah so he was your he's your your filmmaking partner essentially yeah did he have something to do with the writing or was the writing just you the writing was me i mean of course uh -huh. he kind of read some drafts and gave some notes i don't show my writing to many people so he's one of the few people that read the script beforehand. Um, that's something I'm trying to work on is not being so protective of my work. Yeah, he's my filmmaking partner and we, we our skill sets definitely complement each other. What did he do? So just uh, for the listeners, what else did... So he was sort of the villain in the... He's the in villain the, in the actual the film, movie. But what else did he do behind the scenes? Because he seemed to be doing everything. Yeah. So he, he helped develop the project. So he, he kind of acted as like a... He, was, he definitely acted as a producer. He helped casting. He's a he has a great eye for for talent. He was going to be the cinematographer before I met Bradley Credit. Um, mm -hmm. So he was going to be the DP as well. He was essentially production sound. Mm -hmm. uh, so he we we had a we had someone who was running production sound, but and he's a talented guy. But he's also this is one of his first sets movie sets ever. Uh -huh. So really, um, Joey was 
kind of running the sound department as well. And did he have something to do with editing as well? Yep. And we edited the film together. Yeah. He's a talented editor. He did some visual effects. His hands were on like every yeah every part of the process like he he by name he, he like helped gaff and grip and essentially did helped out bradley with whatever he needed he was a huge huge part and the cool thing about the film is I, when you were on set there were about like 50 to 60 actors yeah uh, and then the crew was it was about crew of 10 people and the crew was all pretty much like all my best friends a lot of the people and most of them were in the industry and and they know exactly they know what they're doing yeah Um, they seem like they did yeah but it was a really young crew essentially we just help each other out on all of our projects um so it was like it was like working with best friends majority of the cast i had never met before Uh but and I, i mean you've been on probably 10 times the amount of sets i've been on sure but for me like it was a it was a really special group of people it was it was a great group really friendly it seemed like everyone was really happy to be there i had a lot of great conversations and and just and just fun it was just fun to be there and be around everybody and you know obviously i mean this was probably it was for me but probably for a bunch of other people involved with the film like the first film that they had gotten back on since covid and uh so you know you could feel that sort of excitement of everyone being together and getting to perform and getting to, you know, make a challenging piece of work. And and you uh, you have really well-defined, every character in this movie is really well-defined. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you, you cast really well, and you cast every type of person is sort of very specific and very different from each other. I mean, I was noticing, like, the... Uh, the waiter who I think I met uh, when you guys showed the film um, mm-hmm. and he's got like a couple of tear tattoos yeah. on his face, yeah. which means like he's ha- has like a couple dead yeah, friends exactly. in prison or something like that. And oh, that. All right. So here's a, I'm going to ask you a couple of specific questions about the film without spoiling the whole thing. Sure. All right. So there's a guy who's playing music in the film. I think his name is Tony. Yeah. And he talks about just getting out of jail. Yep. And then there's that waiter, and he's got those prison tattoos on his face. So is there mm. something going on with, like, people who are just out of prison or something with that? I mean, it's not – if it's subtext, it's, like, sub-sub-subtext. Yeah. But I didn't understand why the – because Tony gets his little moment of saying, like, yeah, I just got a jail, and I'm going to play music tonight for the party. And why was that what, – what was important about that? I think that falls under the realm of sub sub subtext that I'm still trying uh-huh. to I'm still trying to figure out too. I don't think that uh, I guess my goal was really to in in this short amount of time in this 18 minute film, like I wanted to see how how deep I could get into a lot of the characters, uh, see like uh, how much I could develop each character in such a short amount of time. A lot of these characters I had known beforehand, um, so a lot of them were kind of written around an actor not okay. a lot a, a few so chris who was the singer i knew beforehand joey i knew beforehand um so i i kind of i i had an idea of the character that i wanted them to play and that was more i i guess for that example specifically that was for character development character depth um because like we we see a lot of these characters at different moments throughout the party and they have like they have like their own time even if it's like, I mean, it's a short film, so it has to be a short time. But, 
like I, I agree. Like I think the thing that makes it special is the distinctiveness of the characters of the cast. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the scene with the family with Jalen and Brianna's family, where you're going, you have that beautiful shot where you're you're spinning around the table essentially as each member of the family talks, and yeah. every one of those characters is really well fleshed out, and they all feel like they know, you know, like. I never. I watched that film, and I I met all those people as actors. But when I watch the film, I'm not thinking about them as the people that I met. For the most part, I'm really looking at them as like a family, an extended family, and totally how well they all know each other, and their you know their real familiarity with each other, and it really plays very very well. Like it's completely believable. Um, yeah. And all those characters, you get about five minutes with all of them together, and you feel like you get every single one of them really clearly. Totally. So that's a, a really well, that's an amazing feat. I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie, and you accomplish a lot with in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I guess one of my one of my strategies for for the I guess for the family, but it was really for everybody. Um, was I, I wanted to bring people on that I that I knew and that I trusted, um, and then I wanted them to bring someone on as well that they knew and trusted. So it's like I didn't know I we had fifty sixty actors. I'm not going to know everybody, but I want I wanted everyone there to already know someone and have worked with someone and and already have trust in a colleague, already have trust in in someone that they're going to be working with. And so like a majority of the people from the family specifically was someone that someone who was already cast referred me to or, mm-hmm. or introduced me to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were like, uh, like for example, I mean, Omari who played Jalen, he introduced me to Brooke who was Brianna. So they'd worked together before. They worked, Did they go to school together? No, no, but they had worked together before. Lloyd Booker who, uh, oh no, Brian Anthony Wilson, who was the, the uncle who's the bald guy who is, uh, yeah. Who's, watching anime on his phone um, right. <laughs> he he introduced me to lloyd booker who is the father can we talk about lloyd for a second let's, let's talk about lloyd dude that guy is amazing lloyd lloyd is a very interesting guy he's very yeah. talented before i met him i i was just expecting to cast him and just like he would be an he'd be an actor in the film but he yeah. definitely put himself into a more Predatorial role. I don't even know if that's a word, but into a more producing role, which oh, I, I didn't, see. which okay. I didn't even ask for. Uh-huh. But I'm glad he did. Like he, he really the way the film turned out, Lloyd played a big part in as well. Did he bring people in? Uh, yeah, he brought a few people in, and everything down to like the poster. Like he was sending me poster ideas. He was sending really? me a lot of a lot of like uh, a lot of music. He was sending me a lot of um, people from wow. his family and from his network um, of, of wow. musicians. And we used like two or three of his of songs in the movie that, that he had, uh, of, of people that he had sent to me. And he's a he's, talented, he's a very, very talented actor. He's perfect in the role as the dad. And um, I feel like I know him. Like, uh, like, he's the kind of actor where you see him perform once and you're like, oh, I've been watching him for 40 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his character was so perfect and he's really funny off, you know, offset too, where he'd just be like hanging out, telling stories the whole time. I mean, very, he's a very gregarious guy. And so you just sort of like sit down near him and listen to him talk about all the, 
film sets that he'd been on. And um, he really blew my mind. Like there are just some people like that who just are, they're supposed to be on film. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this yeah. dude has just so much charisma just pouring off of him. Um, he, I I loved him. Uh, you know, I, I think him and the mom are both, they're yep. both perfect, you know, in those roles. And and uh, I'm sorry, can you say the names of the actors who are Jalen and Brianna again? Yeah, Jalen is Omari Chancellor. Omari. Um, yeah. He recent, he's a recent NYU master's program grad, I, I think that's. His sister is Brianna. She's Brooke Gardner. Had you seen any of her work before? Yes. Yeah. I'd seen some films that she had done. I'd been looking for our Brianna for a while. And this was kind of a case where I saw her headshots and I, I saw like one or two clips of work she had done. And I kind of just, I knew that she was the right person for the role. The annoying part is like going through the whole process of like introducing yourself and sending her the script and like going through the audition tapes, which is definitely important. But just going through that whole process when in the back of your mind, like, you know, like this is this is the person for the role. And that's how I felt about both Omari and Brooke. Okay, so you sort of chose her or both of them maybe ahead of time, but you still had to go through contacting them getting them to audition finding out if they wanted to do it yeah more so just because I, i'd never i'd never met them before so I, I it's definitely like a process that's important like even if you know that someone is you think that someone's right for a role like it's still important to go through for sure the process but like i just had it was just a feeling like i knew that both omari and brooke would pull off the roles so well they have the hardest roles i'd say in the movie even though they're the most featured because everyone's a character around them and they both have to be very real and, you know, playing it very real. Brooke does a nice job of just, just being normal. You know what yeah. I mean? With all this chaos around her and, you know, and also playing someone who's still young enough to misjudge who she's fallen in love with, I think, you know, or just be, be, you know, become, who's become maybe enthralled with this guy without seeing all the warning signs that he's maybe a total dickhead. And Omari, he does a really nice job sort of like simmering the whole time. Yeah. You know, because you have to be able to see the inner life going on in him of like something's wrong. And you cut out, you chose to cut out a whole uh, storyline where his roommate had died before the story began was that was was that just one too was that just like too much information for the story and did you film any of that or did you just get rid of it before you shot it we filmed we definitely filmed it and and the shots are beautiful too so yeah there was a whole storyline where omari was home from school because he found out his roommate had killed himself it was just too much when, when we yeah. got to the edit i had to ask myself like what is this movie about um, and that was really supposed to add depth to his character and um, kind of contribute to the ultimate climactic moment and kind of give a little bit of um, reasoning to why he did what he did. But at the end of the day, like I, it's not a, it's not a movie about that. And it added a little bit to his character, but it was a stronger movie without it. It's almost better to not explain away yeah. what's going on with him. Yeah. And it puts all the focus on the brother sister relationship. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, because you start off the film with them as little kids and already showing that they have a slightly contentious brother-sister relationship, but they're very close. And then 
you you demonstrate, you know, I mean, the first words I think are like my house. Yeah. Jalen saying my house, you know, so you're showing like he's he's territorial and uh, that sort of extends to the sister, I would assume. And then he kind of has this uh, antagonistic attitude towards the cameraman who's shooting photos of them as kids. I thought the actor who played him, the kid actor, was felt like you could have just it could have might as well have been. Omari as a little kid, like I really feel like they had the same spirit to them. Yeah, um, they they were they were unbelievable. Um, yeah, they were awesome. They're awesome in the movie. The kids' versions of those two are wonderful. Yeah, and actually, one of the one of the things that I was surprised with is that there's there's been like I've heard a few people be confused at the beginning because they they thought that Omari as a kid was was a girl, so they thought a lot of I'm not not a lot, but I've heard a few people think initially that the two kids at the beginning are two girls. Um, oh, really? Yeah, which is which is like baffles hmm. my mind. Me too. Um, yeah, that, I guess that's just something that it, it's like a note that I'm like, okay, I guess it's good to know that this is how this could perceive to some people. I, I just thought, I thought that was interesting. So i I'd like to uh, I'd like to ask you like a trickier question, if that's cool. I I was hoping we could talk about the racial aspect of this movie. Is, are you are you comfortable with that? I think uh, let's let's give it a go. Okay, so uh, right off the bat, so you're uh, you come from a mixed race background, correct? Yeah, I'm a. My mom is Taiwanese, and uh-huh. my dad uh, is Jewish. So I'm Jewish. I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm so, uh, half white, half Taiwanese. Okay. Now, did that? Does that have anything to do with so all right, so like there's a scene in this movie where it's a slow motion scene of uh, the camera pulling back as the the uh, musician plays I will always love mm-hmm. you and then you have almost exclusively mixed race couples coming together to dance together um, in the shot until we get all the way out to Brianna and uh, will the the white boyfriend mm-hmm. now that's I didn't ever noticed that it was almost completely mixed race couples until this last time of watching the film. And I feel like you're really trying to make a point out of something there, even though you are being affected by the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and what's going on in our society. It feels like there's an, there's like an underlying urge to merge it all, to show people of different ethnicities I mean, I have to say racial, you know, it's, it's essentially it's just people of different skin colors from different parts of the world all sort of yeah, mixed yeah, together it's, it's, in this party. And, and I feel and like you're doing that on purpose, right? Um, are you or are you, I mean, maybe you're not. I don't know. But it, se- it, it feels like it's very visible. Yeah, I, I don't think that there was a time on set when we were shooting that scene where I was like, kind of strategically um, having this person dance with that person. But I think that's more so kind of what you saw was more so a test, uh, a nod to the casting where I I, I mean, everyone that was in that scene was there for a reason. It feels like you're trying to solve something while you're, you're addressing a, a thing yeah. and then part of you in the film is almost trying to solve it at the same time i guess in a way i guess another way that i looked at it was just like 
was to like not make it about that and that's kind of just how mm-hmm. it turned out so like not to not to really take in scenes like that not really to take race or sexual orientation into consideration whereas like i i didn't want to like be overly focused on that and that's really just how that's how it turned out so to answer your question i guess no there's there's not like a it's for that scene in particular that's really just like a that's how it that's how it that's how the cookie it just crumbled. worked out that way. It just worked out that way. Um, <laughs> it's fascinating, dude. It's fascinating because, I mean, the main conflict is that there's the daughter, you know, the sister is a black woman in love mm-hmm. with a white guy. Mm-hmm. And he's introduced into the family later on in the film. And I, I try not to spoil the end, but there's some violence that happens. And then the the family they don't seem to care about it and i felt like it it there's some point it's there's some point in that scene later on in the sure. movie where it sort of divorces from how things would really go if it was a real event yeah i guess it becomes dreamlike yeah, in a way my my favorite movies are the ones that that distort reality just slightly like yeah, exactly like that are just slightly dreamlike that if you looked at it from afar, it looks like our world, but there's just something, something about it that makes it not, that makes it just a little bit unique for me, the Robinson family. So that's, that's Jalen and Brianna's family. Uh The way I view them is they're, they're very unique and they're definitely naturally flawed and they're a dysfunctional family. Yeah that just so happens to be black. Right. Um, right. And for me, like writing it, it was as simple as that. Um, and I, I definitely think that you can look at the film, like through the lens of race, a hundred percent. You're, you're kind of forced to. Yes. And I don't think there's a wrong way to look at it. Like, uh-huh. I think that will can represent a lot of different things for people, but I, I think the Robinson family recognized who he was and what he stood for, uh, mm. for them, and then they acted accordingly. Do you think that? Do you think that Will is a racist? It's a good question. Do you? I don't. I you know I never. Well, he's all right. So there's another moment where he shakes the brother's hand, and you close up on it, mm-hmm. and they're kind of. They're. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to say this without being a, an asshole, but it's it's uh, not like a, a like the standard uptight white guy handshake, right? Oh yeah, it's a dap. It's a yeah, it's a dap, but, a dap in slow motion. And then Will just sort of like floffs it off. He doesn't finish it correctly. Yeah. You know, which is another indication that he's sort of a dick. You know, or at least drunk is that he doesn't care to even put respect mm. on that. You know, like, he doesn't seem to really respect anything. And so, I mean, you close up on this moment, though. I mean, slow motion, close up, they're shaking hands. So there's this coming together, but then it's not it's not done correctly, yeah, and it's I, charged, you know? There's a charge to yeah, it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that you can take away from just how people shake hands. Why did you decide to close up on that moment? I think for that reason. I, I mean, it's the it's very much two worlds colliding, and, and it was it was Joey's idea in the edit to add that 
that rap song behind it, which is which is one of Lloyd's friends. So that's kind of how everything came. Oh, to really? End. And that's kind of just <laughs> how awesome. everything kind of melded. Um, yeah. And I thought that kind of represented Will's like the the swagger that Will carried himself with throughout the movie. But it it was really as simple as that. Like that was that was one of the shots that I I knew from from early on in the script that I wanted that I wanted to to shoot, and I knew I was going to be in there. It's intense, dude. I. I really like it a lot, you know, especially because it just it goes from you do these nice moments of like where they're almost like these jarring edits of making something uh, slowing down a moment where everyone's like acting crazy or that moment where you close in on the handshake or something like that. And it jars the viewer. So you're forced to really be like, oh, what's uh, what am I? You know, you're dealing with these intense moments that are that are kind of reflections of Jalen's inner life. Uh, that one specifically, I really like that that bit. Uh, we're gonna wrap up really soon. I, I just, uh, I was curious, um, the very end of the film is the first time we see Jalen smile. Mm. And based on what he's done, <laughs> it's, it's an odd moment for him to smile, but it's as almost as, as if he's gotten satisfaction all of a sudden. Definitely. Something's come together for him. Yeah, I mean, clearly from a young age, that's something that he's done was look out for his for his sister. That night he was able to do that. You know, whatever happens next is okay because he saw what happened and he acted accordingly. Yeah. He got satisfaction. Deep, deep satisfaction. Really? I mean, it's it's clearly like something that's been bubbling inside of this character probably since he was a kid, I would assume. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's pretty wild. I, I'm curious, uh, my last couple of questions. Yeah. Have you had, and, and people having responses to this movie, have you gotten people who are coming to you who've been challenged by it and trying to make sense out of it and trying to come to terms with it or is it mainly just like positive response to a film well made like what kind of responses are you getting people are responding well to it for sure mm -hmm. I, I think my goal is always to tell something that I, I think every story has been told like a million times um, but is to tell a personal story that is really unique and something that people have never seen before even if it's a familiar story um, and mm -hmm. I, the response I'm getting is that I have a distinct voice in it and a unique voice in it. And mm -hmm. so does every single cast member and, and people behind the camera. The people are loving Bradley's work um, behind the camera. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I it's think, a beautiful looking movie. Yeah, I, I, and that is all credit to Bradley credit. I think what I'm most proud about from what I'm hearing is just the uniqueness of, of every single character and of, of just the of the storytelling i mean there are always things that like i, I welcome and I, I appreciate constructive feedback there are of course things that i want to work on and that i want to i really want to get better at for my next project but that's definitely where i'm what i'm most proud about is is the group of people that we worked with um and yeah. that's and I, I do think that that is getting across um when people watch the film okay and so that brings me to my last question which totally. is and I, I have i have as much time as, as you need phil oh really well do you have anything more to say about other people's responses to the no to the, to the shoot film? shoot uh sorry go on go on before i uh i didn't mean i didn't mean <laughs> to cut you off 
it's all good. I've been cutting you off the whole time. <laughs> um, so, all right. So you assembled this wonderful cast and you got the bulk of the cast together for the first few nights of the shoot. Mm-hmm. I think you shot for like a week total, right? Yeah, it was, a, it was a week and then we had a one day of pickups. Yeah. So you have like 50 cast members in this giant party scene and you're shooting it as a oneer, meaning that you're a single take, the camera would travel through the entire party and, you know, come across different conversations. So you get a real sense of the, of the vibe in the party mm-hmm. and the, the um, peculiarity of all the characters there and sort of like the, uh, no one's, uh, no one's innocent in that party. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, bad behavior <laughs> in one way or another. Um, and, uh, so th- I, I don't remember if that's one of the first shots that you tried to pull off, but Definitely. we must have done maybe nine or ten takes. There were ten of that. There were there were ten yeah. takes. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was a real challenging thing to to do, you know, because you needed everything to go well. It was it was a seven minute. It was like a seven. Each take was around seven to ten minutes. Yeah, and so you decided that. Uh, and I thought it was a brilliant idea to start it off like that and move through the whole party. And so you get a whole sense of this, what this, the vibe is on this night. And then you, cl- then you arrive at the main characters. Yeah. Um, and you just, and you must've decided that it just took up too, it took too much away from just getting straight into the character's uh, story yeah. and you didn't include it in the movie. I think that had this been a feature film and if we get, the opportunity to make this a feature then a shot like that would be a, a fantastic opening and i think yeah what we did we should even though it didn't make it to the final cut everyone should be so really really proud of of how that shot turned out for context the the film was supposed to open on a long seven minute one starting with someone taking a picture uh, of, of two people because it was supposed to be a flash to flash transition um, from the intro going through through about like 15 different conversations and then ending on as ending as the ball dropped on the main character watching his sister and will and it was a cool shot but the ultimate reason we made that choice to not include it was we felt like we felt like we would leave we would lose a lot of people by starting a short film off with a seven minute take that Mm. doesn't directly affect the outcome of the story. Yeah. And it's sort of a 20 minute piece, right? Yeah. It was was 18 minutes. It would have made it 26. So it would have been half of the, yeah, half of the movie would have been this one long shot. So I can see why you'd cut it out, but I I guess I'm just curious. Are we, I, I, I feel like maybe I'm speaking as a, for all the cast, Right now, totally. are we gonna get to see this shot? You, is there a way? You're, you're, we wanna, I wanna oh, see it to- and I want totally everyone will. to see it. I want everyone to see it. I want, I think it's, it was a really cool thing to do. It was a really wonderful, like as a cast, a really fun challenge. And I thought it really brought everybody together. Um, and for me personally, I was, I was trying to throw in <laughs> different jokes every time for each take, you know, and I had a little notebook and I was writing down new jokes that I could throw in for the next take. And so that was really a really fun challenge to like 
because we're all sort of like we're good we have lines but then you want us to improvise too and so totally. there's the 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 danger that if you fuck it up you fuck up the whole take um so that was a cool challenge too and yeah uh, I, 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 yeah i i want to i'm going to speak to that but also i want to i want to know what was going on in your head kind of uh during that <laughs> just from from your perspective from a uh, like, like exactly like you said, you don't want to fuck fuck up like this long take that includes like fifty people. Like, what what is your mindset during that? But before that, definitely, my I I am excited to get the shot out to everyone that was involved. Um, like a seven minute shot. This seven minute shot is like a short in itself. I, I mean, I'm I'm going through the process as if. Like I, 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 my goal is to send out as polished of a version as possible. So like, I want yeah. to, like the the shot was just colored, um, by the same guy who colored um the film. Um, so like, I, I didn't want to just send out the raw clip. Uh, I'm I'm mixing it right now, and a huge part of my editing process is in the sound design. Essentially, I'm I'm editing it right now. I'm adding things to it from. A sound perspective that makes it that puts it in its own world i wanted to do that and i thought i think it would be worth having everyone wait a little bit longer um than, okay. than just like giving everyone the raw clip and of the best so you're take. trying to make it you're trying to put it all together real nice so then you can present it to everybody as that's, what it would have been like that's the goal and yeah I, and that that's what i'm yeah that, that's what i'm trying to do um because i it is like a short in itself. Like it is a freaking seven minute shot that yeah. includes so many people. I just want to make sure that what I give to people is the best version it could be. Cool. So yeah. So yeah, back to my question, what is going on in your mind <laughs> when like, uh, when like the camera is like 30 seconds away from you, and you're God, hearing man. someone wrap up their conversation. You know, okay, I'm up next. Um, I have my lines, but I've been told that you know I have flexibility with them. I know you are with Ryan Kim, who is a, another yeah. very talented actor. Um, he was great, man. Like how how were you working with him during all of this? I would love to hear from your perspective because it was pretty chaotic from mine. <laughs> I I'd love yeah. to hear what was up in your head. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. I got to know him just, you know, offset before we started shooting just because we're going to be in the scene together. So we're running lines and we're chatting and and he's just a really cool guy, man. I mean, he was just a really funny, cool, easy to talk to, you know, easy to just a fun guy to be around. And we got along really well pretty quickly. And uh, so by the time we're on set, you know, we're excited and um, so we're still chatting. We're probably even talking while the shoot's going on. Like while you're shooting the scene, we're probably like <laughs> sitting there back and forth making jokes. I mean, the whole time, like between shots, we would just keep joking around. He was, he was full of jokes, man. And uh, the chemi yeah. the chemistry was pretty. pretty yeah, obvious I mean, you really want it to look like these guys know each other, you know. And so I think that's yeah. what's cool about actors. Um, if they know what their job is, is to is that because there's a certain externality, again, not a word, but to the job of acting, um, you kind of know you got to you got to get a lot in 
in a little amount of time. So it was important for us to kind of make a bond. Mm. I don't think we really said that to each other, but it just it felt like the right thing to do. And because it was easy to screw around mm-hmm. and joke with him and we were talking about other projects that we'd been on and everything else, you know, um, both being in New York. And sure. and then in between takes, we're always just screwing around with other people and, and just trying to keep the the energy up. So then when the camera's rolling and you hear mm-hmm. it rolling around the party and it's coming to you. So again, I've got this little notebook filled with jokes and I'm trying <laughs> specifically... I'm uh, my character is making fun of the piano player. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried to throw in a different stupid piano player reference and in each take a different a reference, a different piano player. And yeah. I tried to make them, you know, some of them be cheesy. Like this guy, my character is acting like he's he's the best. You know, he's awesome. And he's clearly on cocaine. Um, and. And so he should be, you know, you know, he should be acting as if he's the coolest guy in the room. But then at the same time, he's referencing Billy Joel or, um, you know, what have mm-hmm. you. I think the one that I think was the final take that I think you probably used, I got in Coldplay. And so and I thought that that was like the ultimate reference of this guy. I, I think I said, oh, yeah, I used to take LSD and listen to Coldplay for hours, something like that. And, yeah. you know, like that's. You know, just putting those two things together, someone taking LSD is like implies like uh, someone searching for a deep experience. But then listening to Coldplay for hours is like is lame. So um, I was really happy that I got to that joke that, you know, I didn't think of that joke until that take. But it took all the other takes to go through all these other piano players to get to that joke. And so I'm nervous that I'm going to blow it with the jokes. And I'm trying to remember not only my lines that I'm supposed to say, but the jokes too. And, you know, and try to get in. I'm trying to, I was trying to get in the most new jokes every take. So I'm probably throwing in, I'm probably throwing in as many jokes, new jokes as I am doing the lines that I'm supposed to do on every take. And that is a little scary because I could screw up any of those jokes or the lines. I think I said Fioni Apple in one take. And I was like, oh, man, that's it. I blew that one. I blew that take. But uh, so that was really what my concern was, is to stay loose. The whole time you're trying to stay loose because you want it to look real and you want it to be funny. And the looser that you are, the less you give a shit about how you deliver everything, probably the more possibility that it's going to be funny is going to potentially happen and I'm trying to make the jokes land too. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's sort of like juggling a little bit um, and just hoping, but once the camera gets to you, you're, you're in the moment. So it's with, as with improv, you just have to let your mouth go and hope that the things that come out of your mouth are good. Yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to, to improv well and to, and you, you, proved that uh you were i mean you were doing that very well it's just one of those things where it's like i i'm i could never do it um i'm in awe of people who who can make it look so effortless it's like music um if you've ever played music with people and improvised with music it's the same thing where you get into a zone and then you let go yeah i one of my one of my best friends he he's into 
He's mm. a big freestyler. So that's something I've been yeah. around for a while. Um, and that's something that I've recently been trying to oh, practice really? a little bit um, just, just to get a lot of my ideas flowing. But that is something that is so hard to... Uh, and I'm just so impressed by people who who can do it well. And chances are they've been doing it for uh, years, you know. Yeah, that's it. with everything. It's it's. I mean, it's just practice and getting and in the zone, knowing how to get into the zone. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you must have had that experience even while you were shooting. There must have been moments where everything just flowed, and and you've maybe even found certain shots that you weren't even thinking about, or you know, moments, character moments that you weren't even hadn't previously considered until you got to that moment. I mean, I, I think I remember Joey telling me that the, sh- the shot between Brianna and Will where they're fighting in the garage was like, they only got like a couple takes mm-hmm. at it. It was, you almost were at daylight and um, they nailed that scene. It's really disturbing and intense. And they had the pressure, the pressure was there. And you know, I sometimes I find that the pressure and the experience of filmmaking informs how the, how you perform, you know, sometimes that that's enough to give you the subtext to what you need to make the energy of the scene work. It's just like the pressure's on, you know, we've got 15 minutes to shoot this. All right, go, you know, Absolutely. and uh, so I, you must have had those yeah. experiences. And what's too. interesting, definitely. Uh, and for Joey, Joey specifically, I and just working with him a few times, I guess a good amount of times, like that's that is how Joey works best. Um, is when his back is against the wall. He has like a short amount mm. of time to do something, and and we tell him, "All right, this is. We got this many takes. Let's do it." Um, and that is when, that's really when he shines, um, which is really yeah. cool. It's I, okay. I, I thought, thought he but... he does a great job in the film because he's funny. He's sort of naturally funny. You know, and he's very comfortable as yeah. a performer, I found. So he, again, mm-hmm. felt very loose on camera. And um, he makes you like him. And then you get to know him and then you don't like him. So it's a really nice, uh, you know, wire work of him treading the, the line between a funny character and a despic- despicable character. And, and, and they both come through. Sure. And that's that's that sort of confusing line that you're that you're treading throughout the whole movie you know are these flawed all these flawed characters all together in a room and how do they make the right choice it seems like no one's trying to make any right choices throughout the whole film i mean they're all they're all following their baser instincts you know that's part of it and and maybe in a way jalen is sort of uh has become numb to a society that's lost its way and he's trying to find maybe maybe he's trying to find something right inside yeah. of inside it all and that's what's disturbing him i mean it it's it's so there's a lot of subtext going on and there's I, a I, and you don't spell it all out which is what i really like you know i just saw that paul thomas anderson film licorice pizza last night and it is mm. like every one of his movies you come away asking a lot of questions and that's, I mean, yeah. you do that with your no, film I, too. I liked, no, and I, I, I like your interpretation of it. Um, I, I don't like, I don't love saying like what certain things mean or, or the intention behind certain things just because I, 
I love hearing other people's interpretations. And I, I think, I think the way I look at things is just one way there's never in my work, there's never one way to look at things. There's never one right way to mm. interpret something. I always hesitate to say like, uh, why something was done. Does it annoy um, you? Or, or yeah, what does it annoy means. you when people don't get it sometimes? Do you want them to get your take? <laughs> no, no. I would find that to be hard as a uh, filmmaker that maybe you have a specific thing you're trying to show, but then, you know, every single person is going to have a different interpretation. And that seemed maybe would be challenging as the creator. I think as long as someone takes something away, as long as it kind of, my goal is just to have the film stick mm -hmm. with someone. It's like after, after a few days, like you're not going to remember a ton about it. Um, but the best movies kind of stick with you. Um, just something, something about it. And that's, that's kind of all I can ask for is just to make something that doesn't just fade away in your mind. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what certain things mean to me. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you're still getting how many, so how many films would you say you've made at this point? I'd say three to four that I'm okay. comfortable sharing. Yeah. So you're still finding your voice yeah. and like your, yeah. I, I would assume, I mean, again, like referencing that Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you watch his career and how he's changed over time. And, and, uh, you get the sense that he's still discovering his story and and also trying to understand the story he's telling still to this day, you know? And I would assume that that's what happens is you change and you develop your style and and you also want to change your style according to what you did before. And, and so you're constantly discovering, like, what am I trying to say now? You know, what is this thing about, like? Um, wh who am I now? Why? Do, how does this reflect? How is this movie a mirror of my, my inner self? And I mean, you know, as an artist, you're, you're always asking, you're always wondering, like, who am I? Why do I do this? Like, what is this? What yeah. is art? You know, all that stuff. And so, yeah, and I think as long as you work with people that think similarly. To yeah. you, then everyone else brings kind of their perspective and their interpretation of it to the film. And that's, then it just becomes something totally different, something that you'd never expect. See, that's, that's really my, my mindset at the moment. I would love for this movie to become something bigger so I can expand on certain characters and certain relationships. Um, I thought your, your relationship with, with Cece was very yeah. special. And that's yeah. something that, I would love to have the opportunity at some point to to look a little deeper into, but I, I think just the fact that that idea was kind of planted is is, is great um, because that that that's also hugely by chance too. Kind of you yeah. you and you and her. Really, the only thing in the script was she bumps into you, right? And uh, then you decided to put us together. Yeah, and then just by chance you're put together and then like oh wow this and then immediately you saw like in every take you're like okay these two people have real chemistry and so uh -huh. cool when 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 you see that um and it's just something that you want to like explore yeah and i always 
I kind of feel bad because I feel like every time I worked with her, I was, I would do something wrong or potentially make her a little uncomfortable or something like that. And I never could tell like if she actually enjoyed working with me or not, you know, like sometimes you have to, uh, to create some kind of tension or, you know, a weird dynamic, you know, on screen, you have to take some chances and, Totally. Sometimes I kind of felt like, am I pissing her off or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just is, am I freaking this chick out? You know, I, I never, we didn't, uh, we talked a bit off screen, but we didn't real. I don't feel like we really got to know each other that well. So um, it's fascinating that just, I feel like just putting the two of us together, there's already a story there. Definitely. You Definitely. know, and um, is this a is this a movie you would want to make into a feature, or is this you think that this is it for the the film? I think eventually, uh, I would really? love to make this into a feature. It's important to have time kind of away from it and to yeah. work on other things. Um, but it's definitely a story that connects with people, whether it's a feature or kind of like a spinoff kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very open. I mean, there's potential to sort of make maybe like little minisodes with yeah. different characters you know, of their, like, how they got to the party or mm-hmm. their relationships that, you, you know, like some, it's almost like what The Matrix was trying to do with, like, this expanded universe mm. to the main films with the video games and the comic books and other weird little shorts and stuff. So you have all these, like, ancillary stories that lead up to the main narrative. And yeah. it seemed like there were enough peculiar characters that you could do that and make a bunch of minis that could lead into the main, the main storyline or something. I agree. Well, I, I'm going to be thinking, I've been thinking about how, uh-huh. how, how to grow the story, but I'm very glad that this is the film that we, we were able to meet each other on. I'm very happy that we, we were able to work together and that you came away from our first conversation, excited about the project and willing to work with me. I'm grateful for, for a lot of things. Um, and I, I know that this is going to be uh, is not going to be the last time that we work together. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, what do you have? Anything that you, any ideas percolating now that you have uh, coming up, or just sort of rummaging through your brain to see if something, if you catch a fish, as David Lynch would say. Yeah, I have, I have a few, a few fish right now that uh-huh. I'm trying to figure out what's what's the best next step for me. I'm trying to think what's best for my career best next steps um as i'm trying to grow as a filmmaker and also do this as a profession so yeah nothing nothing worth sharing yet but there's definitely a lot of fishing going on okay and so if people and and first off i just want to say i really enjoy this film um it is a challenging movie to watch um it's intense it's a lot of fun and um, it's definitely worth a watch, especially because it feels relevant to what's been, what we've all been going through um, as a society. So I would really recommend it to anybody who might be interested in the movie. So how do people find it? It's on Vimeo, House of Brotherly Love. Uh, it's on Vimeo or YouTube. Uh, it premiered on Director's Notes. And that's a website? That's a... Yeah, that's a independent film platform that's based in the UK, but it puts out really quality work as well as interviews with filmmakers every few days. 
Um, so it's alongside some great films. It highlights a different film every every few days, and I'm I'm very proud to have been part of that curation. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's something that everyone involved in the film should be proud of. Um, there's a lot of there are a lot of filmmakers who aspire to. All right, so we uh, Max and I just got cut off right there, right near the end of the interview, and so Max is on speakerphone now. Um, so Max, is there anything else that you want to say? Anything else you want to let people know about in terms of finding you online or finding the film? Anything else that you want to, uh, talk about as we end the interview? Give, give the movie a watch. It's 18 minutes. Um, everyone involved put a lot of time into it. Um, this was my life for about a year, a little bit over a year. Um, it was my second job, but also more than that, it was like a second life almost. Um, so please, please, uh, give me your, give me 18 minutes of your time. Um, I, I love to hear what people think about my work, whether it's positive or negative. I, I, am just, I'm growing. I'm a growing filmmaker. So, um, if, if you feel compelled, you can reach me, uh, at maxwellkane 96 at gmail.com and I'd love to hear what you think um, any feedback you'd have um, so I'm, I'm learning I'm learning as I go okay and again the film is House of Brotherly Love and it's on Vimeo and YouTube and you can also find it on directorsnotes.com and the filmmaker is Max Kane Max well, thank you Thank you, dude. Thanks for the interview. I really appreciate it. I had a great time working with you, and uh, hopefully we'll do more stuff in the future. I have no doubt. I have no doubt in my mind. That's going to do it for Episode 7 of the Post Relevant Podcast. Lucky number 7. Thanks again to Max Kane for his interview. Check out his movie, House of Brotherly Love, on Vimeo, YouTube, and directorsnotes.com. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website, thesearedreams.com, and you can contact me at Phil Restino on Facebook and the old Instagrams. Special thanks to Alan Tobin, who co-wrote the theme song to this podcast. You're not listening to it right now. You're actually listening to a song from House of Brotherly Love. I'm not sure who wrote this song, but Max would know. More Under the Silver Lake decodes coming back next week. Stay tuned. And remember, in 2022, stay positive, wear purple, and eat blueberries.